Dear brethren, I will be short and simple. I hope that as I share a few verses of Scripture with you, God the Holy Spirit will help you light on one or more of them that stir your heart to the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. False teachers and our false hearts lay at times burdens on us the Lord hasn't laid on us. And I want you to see that real Christianity is real simple by a few choice passages of Scripture. The devil wants to discourage and defeat you by making Jesus Christ's religion complex and difficult. If you take care of the religion of your heart, everything else will take care of itself. If you start there. If you start anywhere else, it will not work. It must start in your relationship with Jesus Christ Himself and then hearing His light burden and easy yoke that He has for you. We have our landmarks. We have our doctrine. We earnestly contend for the faith that the Lord has shown us. But there's much more than just that body of knowledge. There is a relationship that we want with the Lord. We want to walk with Him and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, of which we have just sung for numerous minutes. And I hope to share a few verses with you that are very simple. If this isn't the simplest sermon that I've ever preached, then I've failed. But I hope that you'll follow with me for a few minutes. will not be long, and this will be easy to follow. I hope you'll find some words of comfort from Scripture, from the Lord's mouth Himself, that will help you. Let's start in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I love the God described in Nahum chapter 1, and I'm thankful for that first chapter. Yet, I would say to you that what I'm about to say is more important than that first chapter. I hope that Jesus Christ is the very best to you. I hope that Christ... Jesus, our Lord, is the treasure you desire. Real Christianity is real simple. The Apostle Paul said, I fear about the Corinthian church lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. We want that simplicity. Father in heaven, by the power of the Holy Ghost, help these hearers and this speaker that we would light upon some sweet promise and declaration of Your Word that would comfort our souls that our walk with Thee and our trust in Thee and doing the basics that You have put in our hearts that are the character of the God who has saved us will be of sweet comfort to these believers. O Lord, lift us up now by Your Spirit and help us to hear the words of the Lord Himself. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of these verses are well known to you. But that fact does not 
take away from them because we must look at them and make them a living reality in our lives. Not memory verses in our heads, nor underlying verses in our Bibles, but practical instruction on how to live and how to find peace and comfort with the Lord. The last three verses of Matthew chapter 11. This is not an invitation to get saved. This is an invitation for those who are discouraged and troubled to come to Jesus Christ and find out how easy and simple it is to be a Christian, to live like a Christian. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke and burden of being a Jew was neither easy nor light. They heaped up all the commandments of the Old Testament upon these poor people, which could never justify any man. And they heaped up upon these poor people all their own traditions and ideas. They put burdens on these people that they themselves would not use a finger to lift. And so Jesus had a real message here, that do not go to them who make my religion so difficult. Come to me and learn how easy it is. Do you like the words rest, easy, and light? Then hear these words and believe them completely. If I've caused you grief by ever making anything sound complicated or by having lists of things that are too long for your mind to get around, forgive me, forget me, and listen to the words of Jesus Christ. These are His words. This is what He has to say. Here is where we can take the wisdom of Psalm 127 and verse 2 and apply it to our spiritual lives. It is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so He giveth His beloved sleep. We use that when it comes to our earthly endeavors, but we should also apply that to our spiritual endeavors. Because Jesus says right here, Come unto Me, All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. We come to Jesus Christ when we believe on Him. We come to Jesus Christ when we run to Him and say, I need no other but you. Teach me what you want me to learn so that I can be more like you. He says, take my yoke upon you. Not the yoke of the Pharisees. Not the yoke of any other teacher. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. And what does he say? I am an intellectual in the doctrine of God? No. He says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. The more you can empty yourself and run to Jesus Christ to fill you, the closer you are to his religion. The happier you will be, the more rested your soul and spirit, and the more peaceful you will be. We lay too many burdens upon ourselves. We want to aspire to higher heights. And in certain ways, we shall. However, 
My lesson this morning are these words and words like them. We're going to move quickly. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has rest, peace, and ease for those who will run to Him. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Pour out your heart to Him that you have nothing to give. You seek nothing else. You want Him. And He will give rest to your souls. You are too busy, maybe too fearful, maybe discouraged from running to Him like you should. And I exhort you right now to run to Him and find peace for your souls. Come back to the book of Micah. It's the book in front of Nahum. And we want to look at a few verses there. You should take the words of Matthew 11, Micah 6, that we're about to look at, and lay hold of them with your whole heart and soul. And put your whole trust in them. They are the words of the Lord Himself. These are the words of God. These are the words we can trust without mixture of doubt or fear. These are not the words of men. You will find a stronghold for your soul. You will find peace and rest if you will use these words in prayer and go to the God offering this. Micah 6 and verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly, with thy God. It's our souls that put the burden of verses 6 and 7 on us. And though the things in some of the things in verses 6 and 7 are commanded by God elsewhere in the Bible, they are not what He's really looking for, even under the Old Testament. He didn't want the rivers of oil tithed to His tabernacle or temple. He wasn't looking for the rams. He was looking for your heart. And so he says in that eighth verse, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. This is good religion. This is the good things God is looking for from us. What does the Lord require? To do justly. To be righteous and fair in all your dealings with every other person. To love mercy. To overlook the faults and forgive others, and be compassionate and a peacemaker with others, to walk humbly with thy God, to give up all thoughts of importance in the kingdom of heaven or anywhere else, to go to Jesus Christ naked and destitute. As Solomon, I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in, and to walk with him as thy God, a personal relationship between you and the God of heaven. That is what is good. That is what the Lord requires. That is simple. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That is simple. 
This is simple. Real Christianity is real simple. Do not be confused or clouded by anything. Do not be discouraged or distracted or seduced, deceived by the devil who will make you think you've got to do something greater. This is what the Lord wants. There are other gods in the history of the world who wanted your firstborn. Our God wants you to walk with Him humbly. To admit that you are nothing and to come clean before Him. That without Him, you are nothing. You have nothing to give and all you seek is Him. To put your whole trust in Him. To run to Him. To delight in Him. And to walk with Him as Thy, your individual relationship with God. Thy God. Turn to Isaiah 66. I pray that maybe in Matthew 11 or maybe in Micah 6, you heard and saw some words that the Holy Spirit will use to to stir your heart on how simple it is to please the God we worship. But it's not the way that we typically think. We think that by keeping more traditions, more rules, more regulations, but he says, I want your heart first to walk humbly with thy God. Treat everyone else fairly. Be a lover of mercy. Love mercy. Be compassionate and make peace with all others. I'll receive that. And that's easy. That's simple. Until you've seen a Roman Catholic manual on Roman Catholic religion, you cannot appreciate the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. You start weeding through all their venial sins, mortal sins, sacraments, sacramentals, What are those? Those are things not quite a sacrament, but getting there. You would not believe it. And do you know what the Lord asks? Come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. Look at me. I'm not puffed up like those Pharisees. I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And if you'll come meek and lowly in heart, you'll find rest. That's, it's pretty easy to get meek and lowly if we make the choice to do so. And so we have Isaiah 66 that's going to teach us the same thing. Verse 1, Isaiah 66. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense, as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. The Lord reasons this way. Why are you so worried about the temple that you're going to build me? The earth is my footstool. I own everything already. You can give me nothing in the way of an expensive building. What I'm looking for is a man with a poor and contrite spirit. The same as being meek and lowly that Jesus Christ said in Matthew 11. The very same. It does not matter what testament you're in. 
The pure religion of God has never varied. He wants your hearts in humility. He wants your hearts in contrition and repentance for the folly of our lives. And He will come and respect that man, even if that man is in a tent with nothing on his balance sheet. And if you try to go to that temple, and if you try to take and kill an ox, and an ox is a valuable income-producing asset, if you take an ox, the Lord says, without giving me a poor and contrite spirit, it is the same to me as if you killed a man on my altar. It is the same. If you try to sacrifice a lamb to me without giving me your heart, it is the same to me as if you cut off a dog's neck. And so forth, he goes through that third verse. The key being, the Lord wants our hearts. That is simple. Real Christianity and the real religion of God is real simple. You don't need a temple. You don't need 120,000 sheep. You don't need a lamb. You need a poor and contrite spirit. And you need to tremble at God's Word. When you read it, you tremble about the things it says. You're thankful for them. You delight in them. The commandments are meaningful to you. You want to be like the commandments described the man of God should be. This is his religion. It's easy. We get distracted. We get our lives full of busyness. We have rules. We look at charts. We look at columns and phases. And we see more sometimes than is maybe good for our hearts. Those things are all wonderful in their proper place. But if we learn anything and do not have a heart preceding it, it is vanity. It is an abomination. He doesn't care. In fact, he describes it the way he did in chapter 3. Because those things, I mean verse 3, those things in verse 3 are things he commanded. But if they're not done with the heart first, they're an abomination to him. Look at Romans 14. Romans 14, it doesn't matter which testament we turn to when it comes to the pure religion of Jesus Christ, the pure religion of God. It was the same under both testaments. Romans 14, verses 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Amen. How many of my brothers and sisters want to find themselves in verse 18? Serving Jesus Christ, accepted of God and approved of good men and women. I hope every one of you do. And verse 17 tells us how to get there. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not all the rules that you think earn peace with God or show your righteousness. Romans chapter 14 is a chapter about Christian liberty. It's about the Jewish dietary laws. It's about meat offered to idols. It's about Passover feast days, other feast days of the Jewish calendar. God doesn't care. What He cares about is, do I have your heart And I have your heart when the most important things to you are my righteousness, peace with others, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You are filled with the Spirit of God because you have chosen to let the Spirit of God fill you 
It is a choice that every man makes to be filled with the Spirit of God according to Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Be not drunk with wine where is in his excess, but be ye filled. That's an imperative verb. That's instruction for what we're supposed to do. And once we're in the Holy Spirit of God, we have the joy of the Holy Ghost. We make peace with others. We follow His righteousness alone, not all the rules, regulations, and commandments and traditions of men that false teachers heap on us or we heap on ourselves. See, the Lord doesn't care. He says in verse 6, it's a long verse, He says, I don't care if you regard the day or don't regard the day. If you regard the day to me, then you're doing something to me, and I accept it. If you don't regard the day, you're not regarding the day to me, and I accept the fact that you're not regarding the day. And yet we get all worried about all these little things. Outside, plain statements of Scripture. Here's a plain statement of Scripture. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these three things serveth Christ is accepted with God and approved of men. I want verse 18, and I want verse 18 for each of you, and there's only one way to get it, and it's through verse 17. Peace. Are you a peacemaker? Do you make peace, or are you a violent person? Are you a, a person full of strife? Is there pride in your life? We don't want pride. We want to be a poor and contrite spirit. We want to be meek and lowly like the Lord Jesus Christ. We want His righteousness, peace with others, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Is that simple enough? Joy in the Holy Ghost. That's His requirement so that we can be accepted with God and approved of men. I love these two verses. This is the real kingdom of God. This is the real gospel of Jesus Christ. Real Christianity is real simple. There are men and women that want to get all worried and run off with their little ideas on what is righteousness to them. God doesn't care. You can give Him all those things you want and you are not accepted with God, nor are you approved of men, nor are you even showing the evidence of being in His kingdom. Because His kingdom is His righteousness and it's making peace, and it's being full of joy. It's a joyful way of worship, not a burdensome one of all the rules you can make up to try to earn your favor with God or think that you've got real standards of holiness because you've come up with that you're going to keep celebrating the Passover. You're a real worshiper of God. You're just going to keep that Passover going. And the Lord says, I don't care if you keep it or not. You will never come up with a matter of Christian liberty that's even worth Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 were matters of Christian liberty that had Old Testament scripture to support them. And God still said, I don't care. What I want is my righteousness, doing justly, being fair in all of your dealings and being at peace and living joy in the Holy Ghost. You say, I don't feel very joyful right now. Then there's something you need to confess. Because joy isn't an option, and neither is it a suggestion. It is a commandment. Go to the Lord and ask Him for the Holy Spirit, which He will give to those that ask Him, and He can give you joy. Real Christianity is real simple. Was there something hard in Romans 14, 17, and 18? I love these statements. I thank God for them. 
I want them. I want you to have them. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Look at verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. When God the Holy Spirit prioritizes things in the Bible and tells us one class is more important than another class, that is precious wisdom. We know that tithing is important to God. We know that if you do not pay your tithes and offerings, God says you have robbed Him. However, because of the light of Matthew 23, 23, we know that tithes are less important than judgment, mercy, and faith. Those things sound familiar, don't they? We're starting to repeat ourselves. What is judgment? It is using right judgment in your dealings with other men and doing justly. The righteousness of treating others fairly. Judge righteous judgment. Judge not by appearance. Judge righteous and fair judgment in all your dealings with others. Judgment, mercy. We've had mercy several times. The compassionate willingness to overlook others, forgive their offenses, and be at peace with them. Mercy. Then faith. To believe God. To trust Him. To walk with Him. To walk humbly with Him. That He's going to take care of you. That you don't have to pay Him or earn favor with Him. You have His favor because He has set His favor upon you. This is more important. Then you can throw in the tithes after you've done those three things. If you give your tithes without these three things, they are an abomination. They are swine's blood and a dog's neck. They are nothing to the God of heaven. And he condemned the scribes and Pharisees for their tithes because they were hypocrites because he didn't have their hearts. And their hearts can be shown by judgment, fairness with all men in your dealings, mercy, compassionate love to forgive others, faith, believing every promise of God and trusting Him and having that heart relationship with Him of believing. John chapter 12. I have read a verse to you in starting this second assembly. I read three verses to you, excuse me, from Psalm 69. You keep turning to John 12. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. How do you show that God the Holy Spirit's in you? You have a song in your heart that you want to come out of your lips to praise God with others. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 tell us that if you're not going to be drunk with wine, we're in his excess. If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, then you're going to be speaking and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When that same verse is given in Colossians by our brother Paul, he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Speaking and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When the Word of God is in the right place, you sing. 
When the Word of God is in the wrong place, we argue. When it's in the right place, we sing. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly because it's in our hearts. And in our hearts we make the melody that comes out. And so we have verses like Psalm 69 that say, This shall please the Lord more than His ordinances of worship. David knew then that it was an internal religion of a relationship with God that was more important than the outward sacrifices and ordinances of the Old Testament. Is that simple enough? That you can please God more with your singing than you can by 120,000 sheep? That sounds pretty simple to me. That sounds like something I can do. And in fact, it sounds like something I want to do. Does it sound like something you want to do? God will accept you. You'll be approved of men. Do justly, love mercy, and sing. This isn't because of singing camp. This is because some of you kind souls that want to walk closer with Jesus Christ have written and spoken to me over the last few weeks and led me to this by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I've wanted to preach this all week even though I spent far more time studying about Assyria and Nahum 1 and the life of Hezekiah and so forth, this is more important. This right here is what I want you all to take away from today. The great God of Nahum chapter 1 is our God and He is good, but He wants us to walk with Him and to fulfill His religion, which is a simple religion. What does He require? What are the weightier matters of His law? Judgment, mercy, and faith. I can do those things. John chapter 12, verse 20. And there were certain Jew, John 12, 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, We would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And he goes on to describe what's going to happen because of his death and how he's going to gather believers unto him and how there'll be a great host following him from the Greeks and the Jews. I want the words, Sir, we would see Jesus. Not, sir, I want your manual of religion. Not, sir, show me the five phases. Not, sir, what are the seven proofs? No, sir, we would see Jesus. We want to see and know and learn and love and follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to the degree we let that slip, or it becomes a subordinate part of our religion, our faith, we lose. Everything else we may have becomes an abomination to Him. He does not care about those outward things. He wants hearts first. Then we can add on paying the tithes from our herb gardens, and He'll accept them. But first of all, He wants our hearts. We would see Jesus. Is Jesus really that important? Look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10:38. 10, 
if you don't find Jesus Christ to be desirable for your soul, it could be because you have too much of that Roman Catholic idea and Arminian idea of who Jesus is. I hope we've saved you from that. I don't blame you. You know, we were singing a song earlier in this assembly where we said, I want him to embrace me in his arms. I don't want that Jesus to embrace me in his arms. I feel like I'd get cooties. You know what Jesus I'm talking about, that long-haired, effeminate hippie. But that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible has eyes as a flame of fire. His feet are like burning brass. There's a two-edged sword going out of his mouth. And he's riding upon a white horse, and his name is called the Word of God. And if he wants to embrace me in his arms, I will fall at his feet as dead and beg for everlasting mercy and tell him that I love him and will serve him with anything I can give him. So cure yourself right now and and remember what Jesus is in the Bible. If you still don't have a desire for that Jesus to embrace you in his arms, you have a spiritual problem. Your heart is not right with God. You are mixed up and messed up. And everything you do and touch is an abomination. He doesn't care about your knowledge. He doesn't care about your ordinances. He doesn't care about your commandment keeping. He wants you to love Him. Let me show you that in Luke 10. We would see Jesus, the Greeks said to Philip. In Luke 10, let me read at verse 38. Maybe some of you women can find comfort here. Now it came to pass, as they went, that He entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Praise the Lord for these words. You women, if you worry too much about the stupid details of your life, you are missing out on being like Mary. Martha was all worried that the Lord needed a five-course meal. And the china needed to be cleaned. And the dining room dusted. And Jesus didn't care about any of that. And He didn't care about Martha wanting to show off her culinary skills or her hospitality. He said there is one needful thing. And you know what that one needful thing is? meditation and love of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary hath chosen that one good thing. Look at those words. One thing is needful. Feeding me is not needful. Now that's pretty high. That's a pretty high statement. Feeding me is not needful. We've got some, we've got some stale bread. You should be at my feet along with your sister. One thing is needful. A meditative, prayerful, affectionate, sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ and being taught by Him and adoring and loving Him and seeking to be to learn more from Him on how to please Him and seeking to learn more about what He is like so that we can be like Him. She said, Mary sat at His feet. One thing is needful. 
Don't argue with me. One thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part. She's where she ought to be and she's where you should be. And it shall not be taken away from her. Go ahead and waste your life in the kitchen. Go ahead and waste your life worrying about and fretting about all the little details. Mary's chosen the better part. God knows, and you know I know, that some details have to be done. But God also knows, and you know, that you worry more about the details than sitting at Jesus' feet like you should. So please be merciful with me and understand the priority and the emphasis that God put upon this sitting at the feet of Jesus. Psalm 73. It doesn't hurt that you know these verses. If you know them, are you keeping them fully? God doesn't care if you know them. He wants to know if we're keeping them. If any man love me, he will keep my commandments. He doesn't care if we know him. He that saith he knoweth me and keepeth not my commandments is a liar. Look at Psalm 73. Asaph was very discouraged because he saw the wicked prospering around him. He goes into the house of God. He realizes, I have more than they will ever have. God is going to receive me up to glory, and I'm going to spend eternity with him. I, I was so foolish. I was like a base animal thinking that I should be discouraged or discontented about my lot in life because others seem to be prospering. Others have big, happy homes and seem to die in their strength. And, and I was saying that I'm washing my hands and living a holy life in vain. He said, I was stupid for thinking that way. He comes to verse 25. This is right after he has said, you're going to take me to glory. Isn't that enough? Who cares about anything else? God's going to receive me up to glory. He says in verse 25, and I know you, I know you know these verses. Do you really know them? Are you living them? Are you living them? God doesn't care if you're married. You have a relationship that's above your spouse. God doesn't care about the number of children you have. I know it's a distraction. And he told us it was a distraction, 1 Corinthians 7. But he wants a personal relationship with you. You do not add anything to him. But you can certainly add something to you by a relationship with him. Here's what Asaph said after being instructed in the house of the Lord. Whom have I in heaven but thee? He didn't want to go to heaven for his mama. What he saw in heaven was God himself. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. All our marriages are going to end. The minute you take your last breath, your marriage is over. Your relationship with the Lord will never end. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth for me to think such foolish thoughts as I did. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is Christ your treasure? Here God is the portion of Asaph. And what was Asaph? He was the song leader of David's Israel. But even he got messed up. His heart and his flesh failed him. But God was the strength of his heart and his portion forever. Is the Lord your portion forever? 
Paul said, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul, it's Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. The Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, knew that the evidence of attaining the resurrection of the dead was counting all things but loss for the excellency of a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and conforming his life to that knowledge. Many more verses could be raised, and I had many more to give you. David would say, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Why would he make a statement like that? Because I am meek and lowly. Learn of me, and you'll find rest for your souls. His son learned that lesson well, didn't he? to make the prayer that he did, and God blessed him for his prayer. You say, but I've blown it so badly. I do get cumbered with the cares of this life like Martha, and then I get misled like the Pharisees, and I get all worried about rules and regulations instead of a relationship. What do I do now? Real Christianity is real simple. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can start over with an absolutely clean slate this very minute with the God of heaven and pursue that personal relationship with Him and that humble and meek and contrite spirit with Him. And it is the only way that you will ever find peace or rest for your souls. And it's simple to do it. I pray that you'll do it. The Bible is filled with more statements of the simplicity of the gospel. It's called the simplicity of the gospel. Paul feared that we would be deceived by seducers, by philosophers, by the devil himself, away from that simplicity. True gain, a successful life, is so simple. It's this short of a sentence. But godliness... With contentment is great gain. Can you write a shorter sentence that tells what the rule of a successful life might be? Godliness with contentment. Godliness is being like the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the express image of the God of heaven on earth, who did everything that pleased His Father, who was God in heaven. And then that contentment that hopefully you thought about this past week, that's how simple it is. 
Are you content with the circumstances of your life? The natural circumstances. Are you in love with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He the desire of your soul? Are you willing to make the things that He says were important, the most important things to you? To do justly. To love mercy. To be a peacemaker. To walk humbly with thy God. To be full of joy of the Holy Ghost. That's a simple religion. That's an exciting religion. Because the high king of heaven says that that is how you serve him. And that's how you're acceptable to God and approved of men. More could be said. If you need more, I'll say more to you. I'll let you see the outline. I'll show you more verses. But hopefully you saw some that make you right now want to confess that you have got distracted and waylaid from a proper relationship with the Lord and that you will humble yourself and you will come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May the Lord bless the simple preaching of His Word and may He by His Spirit convict your souls to pursue that heart religion, that simple heart religion with Jesus Christ. Amen.